Hello, my name's Rachel, and we'll be reading from the book of John, chapter 1. So if you open your Bibles up, we'll be reading verse 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him, he cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who was at the Father's side, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you. A uh, special welcome to you if you're visiting with us today, and especially for this series. Uh, we're so pleased that you're here. My name's Pete. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at this church, which means I'm one of the appointed volunteer leaders here amongst the church. I had to do a quick scramble down there and think, how would I explain elder? That's how I explain elder, because clearly I'm so very young. But I am an elder, appointed leader within this church. Uh, it's great to have you here. There's two things I'm hoping for our time this morning. I'm hoping if you are a guest with us, at the very least, you'll be able to see clearly what we as Christians believe on this question. And for the many of us who are Christians here, who do trust in the Lord Jesus, that this will, if you like, encourage us and help us have a reason for the hope that we have when we are asked this question by our family, friends, workplace, children. So that's what I'm hoping for. Let's um, pray toward that end and then let's uh, speak together. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that you speak to us in your word about your son. We pray, Father, for our friends joining us today, for their courage simply to be here. We pray this would be a great moment to them, that they would feel our love and warmth toward them, and, and more as particularly yours. And we pray for all of us, Father, that we would be convinced again, you indeed do exist, you are good, and it's a delight to know you and be known by you. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to say there are some things that can only be known when you look from within. Um, there are things in life that you have to be uh, in uh, before you'll believe that they're true. That it's true. Uh, take, for example, one example, the future. Uh, in 1978, chief engineer of the British Post Office, Sir William Priest, made this confident assertion. The Americans have need of the telephone, uh, but we do not. We have plenty of messenger boys. Uh, I wonder if the maker of Apple iPhones agrees. 
Seven decades later, here's the chairman of IBM, Thomas Watson, equally poor prediction. I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. Uh, 2019, there were over two billion. Uh, and then probably my favourite, this is some 50 years after this, uh, Clifford Stoll wrote a now famous 1995 Newsweek article about another newfangled technology. What was it titled? The Internet Bar. <laughs> and it's easy to laugh now, you see, in our world, as we live in their future, you know, those predictions gotten so wrong, but, but I want to ask you, would you have done any better? Right? If you were there back then, how could you possibly know? Well, until you're in our world. And there are other worlds like that, worlds you have to be in before you can understand. Take, for example, love. Do you remember your childhood views of romantic love? Do you remember asking your mum? Some of us here, do you remember telling your kids, Mummy, what's it like to fall in love? Oh, sweetheart. <laughs> You'll know when it happens. You'll know. And do you remember how completely unsatisfying that answer was when you were age seven? And yet it's true, is it not? There are some things that can only be known when you look from within. There are some things you have to be in before you can understand. And I want to suggest to you today that it's a bit like that with knowing Jesus. Believing the things that Christians believe. From the outside, it can seem kind of crazy. An emotional crutch. Imaginary friend. But the view from within? Well, I want to tell you, if you are a guest with us this morning, then on behalf of the Christian here, it's like stepping into a whole new world. It's like seeing the future for what it really is. It's like falling in love for the very first time. And it's the realest, truest, best thing that can ever happen to you. Why do I tell you that? Well, it's because it seems to me that's what we're doing with this series. We're saying to you, if you are a guest with us, if you don't trust in Jesus, come and take a walk in our worldview. Right? And we know it can seem crazy when you look from without, just like it did actually for a number of us. But just for a moment, we want to invite you to see the view from within. Even if you don't believe it, in fact, especially if you don't believe it, we would love to show you why we do. And especially today as we answer that question, it's there in your outlines in the, in the middle there, if, if that will be helpful for you, is the answer to that question, how could you believe that God exists? How could you believe that God exists? And I want to answer in four ways. They're there in your outlines. First, because of this world. Second, because of these people. Third, because of our hearts. And fourth and finally, and the one if you're a guest, you might find the hardest to swallow, it's because we're convinced we've actually met him. In his son, in his word, by his spirit. 
So how could you believe that God exists? First of all, it's because of this world. You see, for many of us here and many in our world, the world itself is a great big sign that points and proclaims there must be God. The design we see in our world, the beauty we see in our world, from the, from the macro level, stars and sky, the, the micro level, DNA chain, there's a, there's a beauty that demands an artist, a, a, a design that demands a designer. And don't get me wrong, again, if you're a guest, I'm not suggesting it's all and only beauty and, and that nothing is broken and bent. And, and in fact, the Bible itself says that's not true, but... But even in the way that we've defaced it, even with the way that we've bent it, the world still, the world itself, points to a God. It's like the famous illustration of the watch on the beach. I don't know if you know it. Imagine for a moment you were down at St Kilda and as you walked along you found this, right, lying in the sand. How would you think it got there? From, from where would you think it came? From nowhere? From nothing? Or perhaps instead miraculously formed over billions of years all by itself? Of course not. The watch demands a watchmaker. The design demands a designer. And if it's true of the watch, how much more of the world? How could you believe that God exists? Well, because of this world. It's just like one man told me um, just last weekend, what was his job? He was a scientist and tour guide on the Amazon River, deep in Peru. Right, how's that for a job? And as we were talking and, and actually knowing this sermon was coming, I, I asked him what impact that had on him. And do you know what he said? And I quote, because I was in the front seat, he was in the back, and I sneakily had my phone out and I was typing down everything he said. He said, and I quote, When you are living and working in the Amazon rainforest, you can't help but think, yeah, man, still quoting, there must be a creator. And I wonder if you've had a moment like that. You know, whether on the Amazon River or in a sunset in Box Hill. Yeah, man, there must be a creator. As part of the Bible written 3,000 years ago, it was in our first reading today, it says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. In other words, the world itself shouts, There is a God. The world itself points to him. How could you believe that God exists? I want to say first because of this world. 
I want to say second because of these people. These people. What I mean is these people who know this God and whose lives have been changed by him. Let me tell you about Peter. I met Peter on the sidelines of an under-12 soccer game. Peter, you see, believed in God. He lived for him. And so I asked him, Peter, how did it happen? Do you know what he said? Well, I had this Christian friend, he said. And that friend, you see, was different. Different from me, different from others. And I had to find out why and how. And that's what he did. And the difference he discovered in his friend was God. The forgiveness his friend had from him, the the difference God had made to him. And and that's the Christian experience, do you see? God changes lives. And I want to say now, don't get me wrong, because I know how that can sound. I'm not suggesting that all Christian people are always better than all those who aren't. In fact, I had a conversation just like this with an atheist friend recently, and he kind of pointed me on this part. And, and as, I, as I said to him, I say to you, if you met my brother, you would know that that's not true. Right? If you heard what they said at his wedding, the, the people he helped, my, my non-believing brother, you'd know that this isn't true. As I said in the conversation with my atheist friend, in my opinion, and I think probably in the opinion of others as well, maybe the rest of my families, my non-believing brother is a better man than me. Right? More kind, more honest, more patient, more gentle. But by the grace of God, I am better than what I was before. I am different to who I was because I know this God. It's just as Andrew Thorburn, he's getting a lot of mentions in our service this morning, Andrew Orburn, the Thorburn, the, the, the Eston CEO who lasted just one day and most likely because he was Christian. As he said in his press release, and John quoted this already, my faith is central to who I am. And since coming to faith in Jesus 20 years ago, I have seen profound change in my life. I believe God has made me a better husband, father, and friend. And that's the Christian experience, do you see? God changes lives. And again, if you're a guest with us this morning, I want to ask have you seen it? In the life of the friend you came with, in the life of someone who you know knows Jesus. And better yet, not just in a person, but actually more to the point, and I think this is where the Bible heads, in, in these people, like these people together. I want to tell you about Abdul. He's a wonderful man, a Muslim man, and right at this moment he's considering Christ. And he's asking, perhaps like some of us, could he be real? Could he be Lord? Could I live for him? And and so because of that, he's spending lots of time with Christian people and he's, he's coming along to Christian camps. And at the end of one of those camps, I asked him, Abdul, what do you think? What do you see? What are you struck by? Do you know what he said? The people. The people, he said, are different. 
the way they love each other, the way that they love me. Not long before Jesus died and rose again, he, he said of his people, by this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I wonder if you've seen it. Like with all our faults and flaws, of which we'll all admit there are many, as forgiven, fallen people, have you seen God's people try to do this in the strength that God provides? And does it make you wonder, just like it did for Peter, just like it did for Abdul, if there just might be something in this? How can you believe God exists? First, this world. Second, these people. And third, our hearts. Your hearts. What I mean to say is our inner world. That, that in a sense, that there, that there must be something, someone more. Someone who we call to when life is at its worst. Someone we complain to when life seems so unfair. I remember talking to a great Christian leader once and I asked him, what do you do? What do you say? When someone says to you, there is no God, what do you do in that moment? I said, do you know what he said? I ask them if they pray. I ask them if they pray. And not just in a religious way, right, with a rosary bead or in some sort of prayer wheel. But simply, he said, when life is hard or hurtful, do you then cry out, even if only inside, to someone or something for help? You know, since that moment with that man, I've asked that question to lots and lots and lots of people. And do you know what they almost always say? Yes, I cry out to something. I cry out to someone when life is at its worst. Do you? And, and if not in the moments of fear or stress, what about when life's not fair? When the world seems so against you? I was chatting recently with a new atheist friend of mine named Simon. He's a great guy, honest guy, thoughtful guy. I asked him about this. I said, do you pray? And at first, his answer was no. I thought, well, if nothing else, that ruins the sermon. But anyway, I don't cry out for help, he said. I don't think anyone's there. But as he thought some more, do you know what my honest, thoughtful atheist friend went on to say? Unless, that is, life goes wrong and I feel unjustly treated, then I'll say, why has this happened to me? What have I done to deserve this? As if there's someone there to hear. Do you? Do you do that? Another Bible author wrote, again, around 3,000 years ago, God has set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. 
That is, there is within us, every one of us, an inner sense that there's more to life than this. There's someone, something there. You see, how can we believe that God exists? First, this world. Second, these people. Third, our hearts. And fourth and finally, it's because well, it's because the Christian man, the Christian woman, the Christian child, we actually believe we've met him. We've met the God who's there in his son, in his word, by his spirit. I want to tell you about Sam. I met Sam last weekend. She's a mid-twenties Christian woman on the central coast of New South Wales, kind of surfy background, cool chick. She told me a story of how she met God, and she said she grew up going to churches but never, ever believed. She's had no interest in Jesus, the Bible, or for that matter, God. And then five years ago, around about that time, a friend invited her to read the Bible with her. First she said no, but then she did, and here's what she said. We read the Bible for months. I asked her all these questions, but my friend kept pointing us back to Jesus. She said, keep on looking at him. And so that's what I did with my Bible open. I kept on looking at him, and after a while she said, I was compelled to believe in him. I just had to believe in him. Jesus was and is, her words, just so beautiful. He's how I know God. And I want to acknowledge again that from the outside looking in, right, that sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? Like from outside Christianity, hearing that story, it's just like hearing about love as a seven-year-old, isn't it? Like a parent saying to you, oh, you'll know. You'll know when it happens to you. But, but I want to tell you on behalf of the Christians in the room, it's true. Ultimately, fundamentally, this is how we know God exists. We know him and he knows us. How? Well, because rather than us move to him, rather than us work him out, Rather than us find him, we are convinced that in his kindness and undeserved love, God moved to us in the person of Jesus. He now makes himself known in the words of this book and he opens our eyes by the work of his spirit to reveal himself to us. In that reading from John's eyewitness account of Jesus, he writes, the word, speaking of God the Son, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Or a little bit later, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, again speaking of God's Son, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And that's what a Christian believes, do you see? 2,000 years ago, in the person of Jesus, the the watchmaker entered his world. The the world maker entered his world. And, And as he lived as one of us, as he spoke God's word to us, and especially in particular, 
as he went to the cross for us to, to die in our place and rise as our king, he made God known. And not just in some general way as if to only answer the question, is there a God? But particularly, personally, he made himself known as the one and only God and he, and he invites us now to know him ourselves. Just like Sam did. Just like so many in this room have. When we met God on the pages of this book in the person of Jesus by the power of God's Spirit. How do we know God exists? This world, these people, these hearts. And because we've met him in his son, in this book, by his Spirit. So as we close... I once heard the story of a woman who in a very dark time in her life said she had prayed over and over and over again, God help me find you. God help me find you. It's a little bit like the question we're asking today, but she complained that it had gotten her nowhere. Until it is a Christian friend suggested she should change her prayer. What to? God come and find me. God, come and find me. You are the good shepherd who loves to find lost sheep. God, come and find me. And they say she said, as she finishes this story, because it's what it was, it's her story, they say she said, the only reason I can tell you this is because that is what he did. And I want to say to you, that's the Christian experience. Or if you like, the, the view from within. And if you are a guest with us today, I want to say that's our prayer for you. We pray you would be convinced that God exists because of this world, these people, your heart. But especially because if you're serious about answering this question, you pray to God like this woman prayed to God. God Come and find me. Show me if you exist. And then you seriously, diligently open this book where he makes himself known. And we pray that with us you would meet his son by his spirit here. And we would love to help you do that if that's something you'd like to do. But for now, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the courage of our friends who've joined us here today. We pray, Heavenly Father, for those of us who do know you, that you would prepare us to have a reason for the hope that we have. We thank you, Father, you do exist. We see it in our world. We see it in these people. We hear it echoed in our hearts. But especially and particularly, we thank you that you've made yourself known to us. You've revealed yourself to us in your Son, through your word, by your spirit, we pray that every single one of us in this room would know you and be known by you and know the joy and delight that is. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.